Good morning. If you are a kid in this room and you are so excited to go do kid things, we want to dismiss you to go be kids and have fun and learn about Jesus and come back and tell mom and dad a story when you're done with that. If any parents are now convinced they want to go with the kids, I'm not stopping you. If you're a guest with us, we want to say thanks for being a part of Covenant today, and thanks for joining us and uh, sharing in this morning. There are a lot of things you can do with your time, and so the fact that you would set some of it aside to be here matters to us. We want to get to know you. One of the ways we do that is a little brown card that's sitting on the info table right out those doors and to your right. It's about this size, and it has three little bits of information that you could add there, and in exchange for that information, which will allow me to reach out to you and us as our elder team to pray for you, um, we would want to give you a coffee mug. It's sitting right out there next to it on the table. It has some coffee in it and a free donut at Stimmel's, and it's our way of saying thank you. You are cared for, and there is room here for you, and so I just want to invite you to do that. If you are in that place and you are relatively new but say, I don't want to be new anymore. I want to be known, um, we would love to know you. As we... Uh, think about that. There's also a new member lunch that I think I almost forgot. It was really close. And if you are interested in becoming a member, are you interested in even thinking about what does that look like? Uh, what does it mean to be a member of a church? I don't know what that is. Or what does it mean to be a part of Covenant Church? I don't know what that is. We have a lunch coming up on the 26th. So right after church on the 26th, we will um, walk down a hallway. We will feed you lunch, uh, buy you lunch. We'd love to do that for you. And then what we want to do is get to know you a little bit. Um, because we think of this as a family, and with families, uh, you don't just say, you're in. You say, I want to know who wants to be in the family. We want to know you, love you, figure out how we can serve you and pray for you. And so that's what that is, uh, and that is on the 26th of this month. You can sign up for that. Same table on the info table out those doors and to your right. You'll find a sign-up sheet. You can put your name there. We have child care. You can put, you have 15 kids. We will take care of all of them, we promise. Um, and so we got that covered for you, and so I want to invite you to be a part of that if that's something you might be interested in. Um, we're going to continue our Higher and Deeper series today. This is uh, week number two. Last week we opened up uh, the Bible in Matthew chapter six. And we said for four weeks we're going to just see what Jesus is telling us. And so we spent time last week on prayer. And this week we move on in uh, the scripture. And this idea for this whole series is that we would um, look at our lives and that for each and every one of us, we're all in a position where uh, there may be something greater on offer. So whether you've been a follower of Jesus for 50 years, or you know what, you're still a little skeptical whether any of this is actually true. I would say you're in the right place, because no matter which one of those poles or anywhere in between, no matter where you sit in that continuum, there is the opportunity for greater satisfaction and greater depth and greater life. And Jesus in Matthew 6 is um, addressing some of these things that are common things that trip us up, and yet... Um, What he's really offering us is this greater fulfillment if we would simply see the world differently. And so higher and deeper is our attempt to slow down in a fast-paced world, to to drink in the words of Jesus, and to see God's higher and deeper for us. Last week we talked about prayer. I said this week we're talking about treasure. And I would start by saying this, and I'll say it again later, but Jesus' chief concern with possessions has much less to do with what we own and much more to do with what owns us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. He says, So when you give to the poor, Jesus says, Don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret 
will reward you. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I think this is a fascinating uh, start to this uh, concept, as Jesus is teaching about finances. Jesus is teaching about money and wealth and treasure, and what do we do with that? With apologies to the linear thinkers in the room, we're not going to go from front to back. Jesus comes around, and, and he says, the eye is a lamp. He uses a, a metaphor of blindness to talk about money. So he's basically saying, in a room fully lit, your eye works. You can see. You can move around. You won't stumble. You won't fall. You're okay. If your eye doesn't work, blindness is literally just the eye is not taking in any light. So even if the room is full of light, if your eye doesn't work, you are in darkness. And so I would challenge you to do this. If you were uh, so challenged to do so, if I put you at that glass door over there and I blindfolded you, all the lights on in the room, but I took away your light, just yours, eyes closed, blindfolded, that whole thing, and I said, can you make it from that door to that door without stumbling, without hitting something, without falling, without ending up in the hospital. I I couldn't do it. I certainly couldn't make a straight line from one side to the other without hitting something. And with my eyes open, easy, no big deal. But but Jesus is making this point that that it doesn't matter if if all of the illumination in the world exists. If, If your eye is not taking in light, it doesn't matter. You can't navigate this in that sense. The really interesting point that's being made here, because it seems odd that blindness and and finances or blindness and money, what does that have to do with each other? Here's the point I think Jesus is trying to make. That materialism blinds us to materialism. That one of the the most devious things about materialism is it blinds us to its own existence. That, That greed as an idol blinds us to the fact that greed is our idol. It's funny because no one wants to hear about this. I I totally recognize this, by the way, when I stand up and I say, we're going to talk about money today. The reason you don't put that in the bulletin the week before to say, hey, next week we're talking about your money, it would be the lowest attended week of the year. We recognize that. If if I taught what Jesus taught about, we would talk about money about 14 weeks a year. Because Jesus talked about money a lot, not because he, I don't think, really cares about your money, but there's only two things in the world that actually reflect your heart that are measurable, and it's your finances and your time. You can go back and do an audit on your finances and your time, and you can see what matters to you. And I think Jesus talked about money a lot because it was an easy way for those who followed him to to go back and check and say, "Is, is what I'm saying about my life actually true in the way I live it out? Is the evidence line up? Here's the reality, though. People don't not show up, double negative, people don't show up to the, the, the money talk because they're hostile to being told about finances. The reality is that most people sitting in this room today, self-included, we want encouragement and enlightenment. We want people to fix our problems. But we're also sure that, that this stuff isn't true of us. We're sure that materialism is not my issue and that greed is not my issue. 
And yet, the Bible would say that greed is a disease we all carry, that the most difficult thing to be dispossessed of is not money or possessions, but greed. Greed is different from other sins in that there is no external evidence of it for others to see. There's always deniability of it. So a thief has um, no deniability. A thief caught with a loaf of bread cannot deny it, but he can justify it, right? The thief says, yes, I stole it, but I need it to feed my family. Okay, well, that's, that's not deniable. Greed, I think you're greedy. I don't think I am. Hmm. All right, have a good day. How many of you have been sitting around in a, a small group setting or you're, with, you're doing accountability stuff and, you know, somebody, somebody accuses you of, hey, you know what, I'm hearing a lot about your life. I think you're, I think you're a murderer. <laughs> well, well, no. No, there's no evidence of that, actually. Also, you're invited to go join another group now. You can't might be a murderer. But, but greed isn't so crystal clear. No one's going to sit across from you in a group and go, you know what? I think you might have some materialism issues. The answer would be, you don't know me. You don't know my heart. And that's why Jesus teaches on money, because money is so clearly tied to our, our hearts. Greed and materialism are so dangerous only because they are so deniable. And what Jesus is saying about our eyes being blind is that greed and materialism, they blind us to their own existence. I have been in some religious office with people asking me to listen to their problems for over a dozen years now. And I've sat and heard a lot of confessions. A lot of people have told me uh, the junk of their life. They've spilled out the problems. They've spilled out their struggles. They've spilled out all the, the stuff that they deal with. And can you help me with this? Can you tell me a solution? Can you recommend a book? Can you just help me with... And I've never once had someone sit me down and go, you know what, I really struggle with greed. People will confess the most amazing things. Like, like illegal things. Pastor, I have to tell somebody, I have to unburden myself, I'm doing this. And I have to say, you do understand that I have to call the police. And no one has ever said, you know what, I think I'm struggling with materialism. Because we're blind to it. It's easy. There's always someone with more. The richest person in your row can look around and go, yeah, yeah, but there's that guy two rows back or there's that girl two rows ahead that she makes more. So, you know, I'm doing all right, but I'm not like them. And the richest person in your section can say, well, yeah, that's fine, but there's that person in the other section. The richest person in the church can say, yeah, I make that, but you don't know about this other guy. And it has the ability for us to always be justifying that we're always behind because someone's always making more. And unless you're Bill Gates, you look around and you go, yeah, you know, I'm doing all right, but, but that, that's something. Jesus says, watch out. It darkens the eye. Other people have a, a suspicion I'll address because some people think, well, we only talk about money in church when there's like a budget shortage or they're going to ask me for my money. <laughs> Two things I want to make clear. There is no budget shortage. You guys are being faithful. The church is running. The lights are on. My family eats. And I acknowledge that, right? Part of the, the money that goes in those black boxes on the wall, the money that goes in when people give online, however you do it, part of that money feeds my family. I get that. So... If you feel awkward, imagine how it feels to be me. And yet, we talk about finances because Jesus talks about finances. 
Because Jesus says it is an insight into ourselves. And if we are here and we truly want to grow, if we want to experience the higher life, the deeper life, the life of greater satisfaction, then what we do is we really inspect ourselves. So don't mishear me. Money is morally neutral. You have a million dollars? It's neutral. A million dollars taken to feed the poorest children in the world. Third world country, kids starving, famine. Take that million and feed those kids. Is that a good million or an evil million? Well, the million was neutral, but the use of it was good. You take the same million dollars and you say, you know what would be really fun as Covenant Church? I think we should have a mile-long champagne-fed slip and slide. (laughs) Think about it. Generate some publicity. Awareness drives attendance. More champagne for all of us, right? Just, I'll let you sit on that for a bit. That may not be the best use of money. Same million dollars, right? Money to feed the kids, money for the slip and slide. One is a good use, one is not. So money is morally neutral. So don't hear me say money is evil. We should all be in sackcloth and ashes. Scripture doesn't say that. Money is neutral. What we do with it determines where it lies. Jesus says no man can serve two masters. One allows light, the other brings on darkness. What he's basically saying is you can't have both. You can't serve God and money. It doesn't mean that you can't serve God and be wealthy. You will never hear me preach prosperity that the more blessing or the more uh, like good you are, the more blessed you become. Because the Bible doesn't say that either. We follow Jesus who died a thief's death naked on a cross. So that's the gospel, and there's your prosperity. And yet, you can follow God and be wealthy. God may choose to bless you through that. God may choose to give you means so as to bless the world around you. But you can't serve the wealth and still serve God. You can serve God and use the wealth on his behalf. Do not let the left hand know what your right hand is doing. This creates confusion for people when Jesus says this. I don't know about you, but I cannot do something with one hand and not know about it with the other. So what is he saying? So many of the people in the day gave to be seen to give. The Pharisees would give and make sure everybody knew when they were going to give. He says, don't sound a trumpet when you give. The whole reason people were giving is so they could show the world just how great and generous they were. So what he's saying is, in a sense, if you give with one hand and you pat yourself on the back with the other, you're giving for your own gratification. The intention behind your generosity is your own gratification. And if our chief desire in giving is gratification, then you will get that. It feels good to give. Studies show, psychological studies will show you that people who are generous feel happier. Like it's just, it's sort of scientific fact. Something in the human brain loves to give. It, it releases these happy chemicals. It makes us feel good about our lives. And yet if the reason we give is to feel good about our lives, then that is what you will get. Jesus is saying you can have that if that's all you want. He says don't store up treasures on earth. And so we get into stuff. We live in a stuff culture. So stuff, like money, is morally neutral, okay? Stuff is morally neutral. There's nothing wrong with stuff. What you do with it makes it good or evil. A knife for cooking, good. A knife for stabbing, less good, right? The knife is not good or evil. Storing up treasure is about where you're placing your hope. Whether we admit it or not, stuff is often the source of our hope or reflection of our hopes. So where do you place your hope? 
where do you place your security? Where do you place your reputation? Where do you, where do you place kind of your inner self? Where is it on display for others to see? My hunch is if you follow the treasure, you'll find it. And not just possessions. Treasures on earth can be things, yes, but they can also be kind of concepts. What kind of car do you drive? What kind of neighborhood do you live in? Treasures can be people. Spouse, lover, kids, friends. Treasures can be bank accounts. If the number is this, I feel significant. If the number is this, I don't. It's about where you place your hope in your heart. Remember, Jesus' chief concern with your possessions has much less to do with what we own and much more to do with what owns us. So the place where your heart really rests is revealed in your greatest treasures. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there is your heart. So your treasure then equals your significance. Because treasure buys stuff. Like, we're not in denying mode here where we think that, that money doesn't have sway. That, that people don't notice when we, we have nicer stuff. Money buys us influence. Money buys power. Treasure is power. Life is a bidding war. This culture is a bidding war. And he with the coolest stuff wins. Treasure buys security. As long as my bank balance is this, I'll sleep well at night. But when it's this, you know what? Something's not right. Treasure buys security. Treasure buys approval. If I can have this or afford this, then I'll fit in with these people or I'll win those friends. We know these things are true about ourselves. None of us like to admit it. I appreciate that I have an eight-year-old who's still honest with me. For her, my treasure is her approval. This is where it's interesting to see. So my wife drives a relatively newish car. We, we um, kind of drove her last one off a cliff, basically, and decided that it was time to, to have one reliable car. So I have uh, a little red hatchback. It is not the manliest of vehicles. It is not four-wheel drive. Um, it is closer to being the Flintstone car. If you took the floor out, I could just pedal with it myself. And people say, well, how many horsepower do you have? And I'm like, it's like eight hamsters under the hood, all on little wheels. This is about the, the level of awesome my car is. Paint's faded in a spot. There's hail damage on it. Um, not exactly the greatest thing in the world. And so when I go to pick up my daughter from school, if I'm in my wife's car, she's happy. All the kids are lined up on the wall. They call out silver Silver SUV, Texas license plate, and she gets up, she comes in. When I, when I drive up in my car, little red clown car, and you just, you see, as soon as she sees me come around the corner, she, oh, and she gets in and she goes, Dad, they laugh at me for your car. I said, what do you want me to do? She goes, would you, would you buy a, a better car? And I, you know, in my head, I'm like, I feel terrible that I'm, I'm like traumatizing my child. And yet, I'm not buying a new car. Are you crazy? You'll walk, okay? <laughs> and yet, what a neat insight into all of our hearts. She recognizes and has the audacity to tell me and articulate it. But she recognizes 
that her approval in the school is somewhat related to the fact that her dad drives up in a red roller skate. And she looks at it and just goes, man, really? I went to speak at uh, career day a couple years ago at her last school. And I told her, hey, I'm going to be at career day. I get, to, I get to speak at career day for you. Isn't that exciting? You know, there's only a couple parents in each class. I'm super excited. I'm just, here I am. She goes, oh, dad, that, that's great. And I was like, you're lying. What's, what's up? She goes, dad, it, it's just that like all my friends' dads are doctors and you're, you're just a pastor. I say, yeah, oh, okay. Well, I got to make this good. She recognizes her value, her security, her approval is tied into all these other little things. And through her, I see it. And I have to look at my own life and go, you know what? Why, why, do, I, why do I have like 1% of shame driving that car? And on the other end, why do I have 1% of pride driving that car going, see, I don't need an expensive car. Which is pride, which is just as sinful. You have to be careful. Treasure equals control. Treasure allows us position or status or wealth, which is basically a way to say people do what I want them to do. For all of us on some level, our treasure gives us a little bit of God-likeness. And yet, it's a vicious cycle of dissatisfaction. I'm trying to think of the time where I was most satisfied in my life, least stress and most joy. And I go back to when my wife and I were missionaries in South Africa. Where we had sold all of our stuff, so we had no possessions, nothing cool. We lived in a concrete house with 12 African people, there were roaches and rats. The mattress we slept on, we benevolently called a taco because it was sort of this shaped. So when you laid down, you ended up just rolling into each other in the middle. We didn't have anything great. No one approved of us because of our stuff. We didn't have any security. Uh, Christmas Eve, we remember uh, rolling out of bed and hitting the floor as a gun battle broke out in the alley behind the house. And we knew to roll out of bed and lay on the floor because gun battles in the city we lived were not uncommon. We had no security. We had no possessions that made people think we were great. We didn't have approval because of um, all of our stuff or my cool watch. or my. We, we were really pretty pitiful. And yet, if you ask either of us, we would tell you some of the most satisfying moments of our life were these moments. Do you want peanut butter on bread again, honey? What else do we have? Well, there's bread on peanut butter or peanut butter on bread. You choose. Yeah. And they weren't easy. But as we layer on all this other stuff, we don't recognize kind of the poison that filters in if we're not careful. We lived a life of great depth. And we're um, wooed by the shallows every single day here. The shallows of stuff offers us some dim reflection of what our hearts are truly longing for. That's the thing about stuff is it's not bad because it offers us some dim reflection of what we really want. The reason we want security is because security is wired into our hearts to need and desire. The reason we want to be approved of is because deep in our souls we have a need for approval. But the stuff, the stuff is just this dim reflection of it. What it, what it amounts to is it's a child playing with a sailboat in a bathtub. 
and thinking he has any idea what it's like to take a real 40-foot sailboat out on the open ocean. They're different. And we get ourselves in this bathtub of control and we go, if I can just get my stuff and I can just get enough of this, then I can feel safe and I can feel secure and I can be in control. And says, if God is saying, come on out, the adventure is greater than you can imagine. The control is a whole lot less than you think. And there are going to be times you think you're going to tip. But if you would allow your heart to be open to the idea that there is something greater out there, and then you cannot possess it, then there is a higher and a deeper life to be held. The reality is all treasure asks us to live for it. You want to retire well, you have to work for that. You have to live for that. Anytime you live for something, in some sense, you have to die for it. You are giving your life for it. To give your life for something means I'm willing to die for this thing. So, so there's nothing wrong with having a house, but if you give your life to have this house, if you give your life to have that approval, if you give your life to have that 401k, if you're giving your life for this thing as the ultimate thing, that'll finally make you feel secure, that'll finally make you feel controlled, that'll finally make you feel significant in life. If that's your ultimate, what you don't recognize is that giving your life for that thing means you are dying for that thing. Every treasure insists you die to get it. You have to die. All these other things die so that you might have the ultimate. Jesus is the only treasure who loved you so much that he was willing to die to get you. Jesus looked at you as treasure worth dying for. Scripture would say that in his death and resurrection, we find all we need. That through Jesus, we have significance as adopted children of God. That through Jesus, we have the security of eternal life through his resurrection. That through Jesus, we have approval set free to live for God's glory. Through Jesus, we have position as sons and daughters, status as children of the king, and wealth beyond imagination in the overflow of abundant grace. Jesus is the only treasure that will not let you down because Jesus is the only treasure whose promises have already been completed. So the challenge is if you can truly treasure Jesus, then the chains of money and materialism are instantly broken. They're set up like filters. If the first filter in life is money and the third filter is Jesus, well then before you get to Jesus, you're making decisions based on finances. If you flip the filters and Jesus becomes first, everything that goes in has to go through him first. And you just see it differently. Hey, we won the lottery. We can change the world. Hey, we won the lottery. You can buy me something. It's just a filter. The, the reality of life doesn't have to change for the way we see it to be radically altered. Money is not evil. Stuff is not evil. But if our filters are in right places, like we don't need to be stressing out at Walmart going, do I get the 40-inch or the 42-inch? Which one is sinful? Like the, the, the flat screen TV, which one? Maybe we should get the 32-inch and really look like we're, you know, like that would be righteous, right? Like, don't overthink it. If your filter is Jesus, you go, I'm going to get the 60-inch, and I'm inviting everybody over for the Super Bowl, and we're going to love them and show them hospitality and treat them well and befriend them. We're going to be generous. Buy the biggest TV you want. It isn't about the stuff. It's about the filter. If we're buying the 60-inch because we think our neighbors will be jealous and think that we're cool because we have a 60-inch, that's the wrong TV. If we buy the 60-inch because we think Jesus would be honored, if we would have a way to bring our kids' friends over, and instead of them going and smoking out behind the the 
this football stadium or something. They're in our house, in our basement, and we're able to oversee them and love them and train them and, and show them Christ's love in every situation. That's the right 60-inch. Same TV, different filter. When we recognize that all the possessions and the zeros in the bank account are pennies compared to the surpassing wealth of heaven, we become free. We're not beholden to money. Our blindness is gone. We can see as God intends us to see. We can use money and material for God's glory. And, oh, by the way, enjoy it. You know what I want for my child? I want the money I make, the things I bring home, the food that I give her, the games we buy, the movies. I want her to find great depth of joy in my provision for her. God doesn't want to make you feel guilty that you bring home a paycheck. God wants you to find great depth of joy in the paycheck. Enjoy the steak. Know where it comes from. Jesus' treasure also heals hearts. We live in a divided society. It's more uh, apparent every day. So instead of resenting the rich for having so much, because money and the pursuit of money owns you and our jealousy is deep, because of of resenting the rich, we can pray for the rich to use their wealth for the cause of Christ. Instead of disrespecting or resenting the poor because they don't have more, and because those in need may actually need it from you through taxes or a street corner handout, instead of resenting the poor, we can pray for the poor to be given a hand up that they might give glory to God as their status rises. We're a divided society. We need healing in all those ways. And when we see money as all that it is, a blessing from God to turn around and bless the world, it changes the way we see everything. Jesus warned that treasure could blind us. So my prayer is that we would be a people whose eyes are open, who see through the shallows of stuff and pursue faith and love and hope for a a weary world. I would pray that we would be willing to walk away from the safety of worldly comfort and into the wilds of God's perfect will, that we would be willing to see our toy sailboat in the bathtub and realize that it is not the same thing as feeling the spray of ocean on your face. May we be truly a people that belong to him who gave his life for us, that we would recognize that we don't live here to own things. We live and breathe here because we were first owned. May we be willing to be changed from the inside and then change the world around us as a result. You say, this is all well and good, but what do I do? Maybe you recognize today the subtle slide away from generosity toward materialism or greed, whether you would call it that or not. Maybe you recognize it. Maybe today you say, well, I'm going to reverse that in some way, shape, or form. In my family, in my home, in my marriage, I'm reversing that slide. I didn't even see it. You push back. So maybe you give to the church. God doesn't need your money. God loves your heart. Maybe you give to UNICEF. Provide education and food for children in third world nations. Maybe you give to Young Life because you have a, a heart for our youth. And you care that they're doing things out there. Maybe you, you stumble across something new. I just heard about Water for Ishmael, which helps refugees in this area. Hmm. Maybe I look more into that. Maybe I can be generous there. I decided this morning, I didn't really plan on this. I haven't told my wife yet. Sorry. 
I decided this morning, we, uh, we have family night on Wednesdays. We try to keep the night free. We try to uh, do our thing. Once a month, we're going to have, uh, I don't know what we're going to call it. Probably something dumb. Generosity night. I don't know. But I'm going to change the way we give what we give to free up just enough money that everybody in the family will be able to give something every month to whatever the cause they want to give it to, which is a dangerous thing when you have a four-year-old. Donating to the My Little Pony Foundation. Okay. <laughs> my job is to train my children to be generous and have generous hearts, to be on the lookout for those who might have need. And so once a month, what we're going to do is around the dinner table, we're going to say, what are you giving your $20 to this month? And dad's going to explain what he found. And mom's going to say, you know what? I ran into this. This is where mine's going. And we'll have the computer out because you can give online and we're going to just plug it right in. And Bella is going to say something really way more mature than an eight-year-old should say. And then my four-year-old is going to say, I'm giving it to dogs. And I'm going to go, okay, let's figure that out. (laughs) And then the next month, they're going to get together, and they're going to be on the lookout. And instead of waiting for that one night around the table, they're going to go, hey, Dad, I saw this thing at school today. You know these kids don't have books? We could help them, and I'll go wait for our night. And I want to plant seeds of generosity in them so that they can know the joy of what it means to give. So the question becomes for us as a people, what are we doing to stoke the fire of generosity in us? Because generosity is the first arrow into the heart of greed. Generosity is the only undeniable evidence that what we own doesn't own us. And so as we seek to know Jesus and make him known, this Jesus who thought generosity means I will give my life for you, then we as a community will take a step in being more generous. And figuring out who in this world, whether it's my extra dollar or my extra thousand or whatever, who in this world could use a little dip of the grace that I've received? And in that, I bet we'll be knowing him better, and I bet the outside world will see a clearer picture of who he is every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you... uh, You've authored this place. You are the creator. And God, we forget that. At times I forget that uh, I'm not the author of my own destiny, much less the creator of the cells in my body. And Father, I pray that you would uh, humble me in that. And you would remind me the world does not revolve around me and the things that... um, come into my house, the things that uh, I purchase. They don't add to my life. They don't add to my significance. Father, I pray for myself, but for this whole community, that you would uh, do the difficult work of opening up our eyes to greed where it exists in our hearts, to materialism where we've been blinded to the reality of our days. And Father, I pray that you would stoke within us a desire to be more generous. To give of our days and our time, to give of our talents for the world to see. Father, to give of the extra pennies. That they might make a lasting difference on the world. That people would step back people in these chairs, people on this stage would step back and feel the fullness of life 
and the winds of generosity. Father, that we would be sailing through this life as your Holy Spirit blows us along. God, that we would be receptive to your goodness and that we would be responsive to your nudgings for us to be involved and be generous. Father, I pray that you would inflame our hearts for that vision. You would prove us to be a generous people and that our generosity would be glory to you. Father, this is not the easiest thing to take on. And yet, God, we trust that the higher and the deeper life is the life that you've lived for us, that you've given to us, and that you desire for us to experience. So, Father, we ask you to help us live it. In Jesus' name, amen.